I'd like for you to uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Very important passage we've been talking about, as Daniel said, commitment to the Lord. And there is a battle that's going on, and this battle that's going on is a spiritual battle. A lot of times we don't look in the spiritual realm, we only look in the physical realm. We only judge things by our senses, and that is wrong. This is very much the real life. God is spirit. Amen? And so in turn, we need to look into the spiritual realm. Now there is also an enemy. The enemy, uh, of course, we deal with the flesh and we deal with the temptations of the world. But behind all of that, we know that there is a, an enemy. And he has an army. And they do try to destroy human life. Why? Because human life was created in the image of God, right? And so he wants to destroy that image in whatever way he can, and also God's purpose along with it. And we see some of this as we come to Matthew chapter 8, as we're going through this book on Sunday mornings for the most part. We've been jumping around, I know, with Judges, as Daniel was talking about, and we'll be back in that tonight also. But in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, it says, And when he had come to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, now we know that he has just left crossing the sea. There's been a great storm. And uh, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. And they were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was at a distance from them a herd of many swine feeding. And the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Be gone. And they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including the incident of the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they praised him, honored him, bowed down to him, and worshiped him. No, uh-uh. They entreated him to depart from their region. How sad. But if you think about it today as we'll look into the message, we do that a lot of times when we come to things that we want more than God, right? We ask him to bow out so that we can do our own thing. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. Lord, I want to thank you for this time of worship. And I pray that it will truly be that, a time of worship where you are honored and glorified. May you 
fill us with your presence in a very special, unique, and powerful way, in a way that we have our hearts and our minds and our lives dealt with. And I know that that only comes about as we allow you to deal with us. And so I pray that our, our lives will be open to your word, your truth, and I pray that you'll speak to us where it might encourage some that need encouraging, where it might convict some that need conviction, where it might uh, teach and instruct some where there needs to be stronger instruction and teaching. Whatever form it may come in, Lord, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our lives. And so I just pray that your grace, as you tell us, is sufficient for each and every situation that we face. I pray that this grace will be sufficient today, that we'll sense that and experience it. We know that it is, but we'll experience it in a very special way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we come to the place in Matthew and we find out that this is a theme that's continuing through this part or this section of Matthew. And that is, and it is a very key, important theme. That is authority. 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 Now whose authority it is is very important also. What is happening here is that the authority of Jesus has been demonstrated through his teaching, Sermon on the Mount, as he performed miracles, performing miracles, as he calmed the sea, as they were crossing over. And now he is approaching and dealing with some demoniacs. And so in turn we see again the authority of Christ. And this is a very important teaching mode. This is a very important teaching method. This is a very important teaching truth, if you will. And that is, he's letting them know that it is his authority, who he is, the Son of God, and it is his authority that brings victory healing whatever it is in our lives and to our lives. And so he is letting the disciples know this and teaching them this, even though they're not understanding everything fully at this time. But we must understand what he's teaching. We have the Bible, we're looking back on it, and we can understand a lot better than they could as they were facing it at the time and not having all the facts that we have. So... As we look at this, we see that it's very important whose word is being taught. And Jesus' word is so important that they recognize this. When he was teaching, you remember, they said, boy, you teach not as the scribes teach. In other words, you have authority. You teach with authority, they said. So... Everyone has opinions, don't they? <laughs> I mean, we live in a world where everyone has opinions. You can even ask the doctors. My wife likes to do this when something is wrong. She, nothing wrong with this, honey. But she goes to the medical books uh, online or whatever to look up with the symptoms. And that's fine. But if you're looking for a doctor that is successful and knows what he's doing with heart transplants, you're not going to listen to your neighbor who has read some medical magazine, are you? 
and tells you what to do. Oh, you may listen to him and hear what he says, but you're going to go further, aren't you, and go and get the expert's information. You definitely don't want to come to me. And so in turn, we see this. But we see it in all lines, all fields. I mean, you know, we have electrician. If you want me to wire your house and it burned down, then come to me. If you want Freddie, then go to Freddie. He's the expert. If you want gates put up and to operate and open and, and close correctly, don't come to me. Go to Tim. You know, we, we have plumbers. If you want plumbing done and you have a major problem and it needs to be dealt with, then you go to that expert. And we could just go on and on and on. Legal help, uh, all this. Car problems. When we see Jesus carrying out what he has just taught with authority, we see authority unlike any other individual. I mean, here is a person who has been teaching and they understand it. The scribes may know what the Bible says and may have learned scripture through VBS or whatever, you know, I don't know what, what they had, but, you know, they, they read it from young and they studied it, but they did not teach it like Jesus taught it. There was something unique. In other words, it is an authority that transcends any other authority. Jesus' authority is the authority of God. It is the authority of the creator and of the revealing God. As with Moses, God revealed the Ten Commandments and he revealed himself through that means. And so in turn, in the New Testament, we have the God of this universe revealing himself through the Son. In Hebrews 1, it tells us this. So the disciples do not understand everything, as I mentioned earlier, like we do, because they didn't have it all before them. They didn't understand that Jesus is, is the Son of God, not fully, that he is uh, the third person of the Trinity. They didn't understand that, you know, uh, he had the power of God because he was God, and, and all of this, and he came in the flesh and dwelt among men. What they did understand is that his authority that he had, they saw this authority, was like no other authority that they had ever seen before. And the demonstration of his authority has been revealed over and over and over again in unmista unmistakable ways. And so, as we come to Matthew chapter 8, it says, And when he had come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? There's some very important things there. Number one, we know from Revelation that, and, and other passages, of course, that Satan is a fallen angel. That he, was, he rebelled against God and he was kicked out of heaven. But not only that, it says a third of God's angels followed him in that rebellion. And these angels are called unclean spirits. They're called demons. And so they operate for him. He has a setup. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see that there is a hierarchy there where he has these demonic angels fallen angels working underneath him. 
Isn't it amazing that he tries to reproduce what he uh, saw in heaven because he knew that God was creator and he had the right way even though he rebelled against him. But on earth, he tries to get us to operate just the opposite. He doesn't want hierarchy. He doesn't want uh, peace. He doesn't want unity. He wants chaos. And so he tries to create it in mankind. And with this, we see Jesus and the disciples, they have sailed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gadarenes. Mark and Luke call it uh, the uh, Gerasenes. And uh, they, they're not disagreeing with one another. We've got to understand that. These uh, synoptic gospels do not disagree with one another. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They just present it from a different perspective, don't we? And what was happening there, one was referring to a town, probably where the other one was referring to the greater district of the Decapolis, ten cities. And so uh, it would be like me, uh, you know, arriving here at Forest Heights for church service and saying that I went to Forest Heights Baptist Church, whereas someone else comes in and they, you ask them, did you go to church and they said yeah I went to church in Athens but they don't miss they don't mention uh, Forest Heights they just say one of the churches in Athens and so Matthew mentions two men while Mark and Luke decided to mention only one does that contradict each other no it doesn't Matthew and uh, Luke are probably mentioning one demoniac because uh, he is the uh, one who is the the one that Jesus is confronting, speaking with, where uh, Matthew is not, you know, interested in that part of it. He's interested in, in Jesus and his authority here. And so Jesus has already been casting out demons before this episode with the uh, two demoniacs here. And these men were, were not maniacs, but demon-possessed people. And this needs to wake us up to the real world. There are demons out there. Now, I'm not from the dark ages. I'm, I mean, I'm, I know I may look like it. I may have that much age to me almost. But I'm not from the dark ages to the point where, you know, uh, they think that they didn't have any sense back then. And they believed in all these evil spirits and everything else. And they were just stories and parables and and different things that that were told back then no it's for real this needs to wake us up to where the battle is it is a serious thing to deal with demons casting out demons does not come by some priest coming with holy water uh, or a cross and saying some words in latin and throwing the water on the person that's demon possessed this is hollywood and it's guidelines. It's something that can only happen by God. We need to understand that. It is a malady from which there is no earthly cure. Luke describes the spokesman as one who has an unclean spirit. They are described as unclean or evil spirits. In Revelation 12, 4. It's indicated that when Satan rebelled, as I said, he took these fallen angels and some were even more evil than others and were put in a place 
that in the Greek it's Tartarus. And uh, they, uh, but others roam this earth and this atmosphere and do Satan's work. They, like Satan, have already been judged and one day will be confined to hell, which was created, by the way, for them originally and not for man in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Humans go to hell because they rebel against God and follow Satan. They choose to. There's something that's very fascinating about the demons, though, that are mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They recognize who Jesus is. This is why they want to keep our eyes blinded. And by our eyes, I mean, for the most part, if they can get uh, Christians to not believe in this, that's archaic and and, you know, it's out of date and all that, and it doesn't exist today, they will do that. But I mean the blinded world today, they want to keep them in that blindness. They want them to laugh at it and, and think it's funny and make movies about it and joke about it and make light of it. But we see that the demons, they know that Jesus is the Son of God. There are cases in the Bible like this where demons recognize who Jesus is before the people do. It says in Matthew 8, 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? In other words, they know that their time is limited. They know, not like humans recognize until they become a child of God, but they know that their time is limited and there is a judgment coming and they have been defeated. The demons are enemies against humanity. They would destroy humans if they were given the opportunity. And so if they can destroy the individual, they'll torment them. Now, uh, a caution and a warning here. Satan is doing all that he can to defeat or thwart God's plan. He knows that his time is short. He has emulated heaven by creating an organizational structure and hierarchy of his own among uh, the fallen demons or angels. And these demons carry out Satan's orders in attempting to defeat God's uh, program. So... They want to do away. Here is a man of authority. And just think, people, a world or society that wants to start doing away with authority, who's behind all that? Satan is. Authority is set up for man's good, isn't it? To keep it from being chaotic and out of control. And we need to remember that. They've got, it says in Ephesians, they have rulers, princes who, who guide the affairs of satanic, uh, the satanic realm. We have, they have powers, it says, those who execute Satan's program. We have, they have world forces of this darkness, those who operate like uh, officers and, 
and uh, sergeants, if you will, who make sure the program is properly implemented, and spiritual forces of wickedness, which include the troops. So the realm of Satan's government extends to all the world. And the reason Christians are attacked by Satan and his demons is because he does not want your influence working against his kingdom. We're under attack from a well-organized, well-developed, well-dedicated spiritual force or forces under the command of Satan. And Satan is not omnipresent, though, and we need to understand that, nor is he omnipotent or omniscient. He must carry out his program through the organization of demons. He is not God. He is not the creator. And here are demons who recognize the one who can and will cast them out. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Demons not only recognize Jesus as having authority like no other, but they recognize who he is, the Son of God. Isn't it a shame that the eyes have been blinded by Satan in this world to the point where they do not recognize? He will keep those eyes blinded as long as he can if the person doesn't uh, react and respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because Satan wants them to be defeated. He wants them to end up in hell with him for all eternity. And as we move on, he, he says, uh, the, you know, he will, they've come to torment. And the use of torment instead of Detroit, destroy is very interesting. He's come to torment them. In other words, what they were saying is, you're, are you going to place us somewhere where we'll be tormented before our time where the final judgment will come? And, they're not, they're, they're, and they did not say that they would be destroyed, did they? Have you come to torment us? And that's very interesting too because it brings, you know us to the uh, alertness that there is a hell and hell is real and hell continues on and you don't go to the grave and cease to exist you continue to exist whether in heaven or in hell whether receiving Christ as your savior or rejecting him they do know that he is one with authority and so remember that it isn't until chapter 16 of Matthew that we have the profession of Christ by the disciple Peter so the the contrast there is very interesting they know but the disciples don't know who he is so as as we look at this the demonic world creates confusion Satan creates confusion and havoc while he, the Holy Spirit creates conviction and wholeness in Matthew 8, 30, it says, Now there was at a distance from them a herd of many swine feeding. And so what did he do? He allowed them to go into the swine. They want to occupy some form of a body. And they went into these swine and confusion, chaos was created and they ran into the water and drowned. 
McGee says about this, he says, McGee says that the region is Gadara, inhabited by the tribe of Gad. He says the tribe of Gad wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan River. And the, the wrong side when the Israelites were taking the promised land and dividing it up among the tribes. McGee further says that they went into the pig business, which was a no-no for the Jews. And he thinks that during the time of Jesus, some Jews were living in Gentile country, raising pigs and selling them among the Gentiles, which was not the acceptable way for the Jew. The demons requested to go and possess the, the unclean animals like the swine nearby. And the demons began to entreat him, and he allowed them to go. And they went and tormented these animals to the point where they ran, they went crazy. So as we look at this, we see the city coming. The herdsmen go back and they tell the city and that city comes out. And what are they more concerned about? They're more concerned about their business than they are about God. People, a lot of times, we become the same way, don't we? If something is so important to us that we don't want to give it up, it will become more important to us than God. It will become our idol. I don't care whether it's sex. I don't care whether it's it's drugs, I don't care whether it's alcohol, I don't care whether it's economy. Whatever, many times, if we're more concerned about that than we are God, that will become our God. And this was what had happened or was going on with these Gentiles. And so, we understand that they relied on this economy that that's what they had and so that was more important to them than the victory that was before them in that man becoming whole again and the demons become uh, being cast out of him so how in the world what you know what was he teaching them he was teaching them that as they go out eventually on their ministry that they had better rely on him and his authority than theirs. But we, we have the same thing today. When we get, you know, we get married or when we're in school, let's just go back. When we're in school, we're being tempted with different things that come before us. When we get married and we begin to have difficulties, and problems when we go to work and we can't seem to work with anybody we begin to become bitter and angry when all of these things happen what are we doing basically we're doing the same thing aren't we we're relying on our senses instead of on the Lord and his authority. We're forgetting that Christ and his authority, that he's defeated Satan. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to become complete in him and his rule, which extends over everything. Now, I'm not saying that we will, but we can have victories instead of defeats. As uh, Daniel sang about, every event, every enemy, every threat, literally everything, Christ has overcome. In Colossians 2.10, in him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. He's over everything. Why in the world should we rely upon our cunningness and our abilities and leave him out to try and overcome our hurt, our problems, our temptations, our difficulties? When, when you trusted in Christ for your salvation, you were transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. In chapter 3 of Colossians, it says, uh, you know, he, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. When you and I believed in Christ, God changed our location. We've been transferred to a new kingdom with its own kingdom agenda. This is why we, we pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What about thy kingdom? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we, we need to recognize this. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, it says, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. In Jesus, you and I have been set free. You no longer have to cower in fear and give in to temptation, to anything. Your victory is rooted in the reality that everything is under the rule of one who has made complete everything in him. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, he said, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. People, we should be excited about that. Yes, there is demonic activity out there, isn't there? Yes, there is a spiritual war going on. And yes, he wants to get us to the point where we are discouraged defeated, depressed, and ready to give up. Yes, he wants us to give in to temptation when it comes, and, and yes, he wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy individuals. He wants us so frustrated that we're trying to work out everything on our own all the time, and we just get more and more and more frustrated and, and further and further away from that relationship that's needed with the Lord. And what do we do? We no longer live by faith, do we? You have to live by faith if you're going to live in the spiritual realm, don't you? 
It's not by the five senses that you live in the spiritual realm. And so in turn, you realize, hey, God, I can't do this. Hey, I can't bring this together. We can't work this out. Or, or God, I, I'm just so frustrated. I don't know what to do. And he says, I have authority to overcome that. But you've got to get back into that relationship with me, that fellowship with me that's needed. You've got to walk by faith on a daily basis. Trusting in me and my authority, not yours. Recognizing me in all things. Did I not save you by grace? Do you think I can't continue to carry you along by grace? And then when we do slip, recognize it, confess it, forsake it. And get back into or on the foundation that we should be standing on. Jesus Christ. How are you today? I, I know life isn't easy. man. I know that it's difficult. I know there's temptations out there. I know that there's hang-ups that we have in our life. And we'll, we'll continue to have that, won't we? The rest of our days here on earth. But we don't have to always give in. We don't have to give in ever, but we don't have to always give in. I know there's going to be such a great temptation there between the flesh and the spirit. Sometimes we do slip, unfortunately. But we shouldn't allow that to keep pushing us away further with that broken fellowship. Satan doesn't want us to confess it. Satan doesn't want us to see our weakness, our weaknesses and where our strength truly lies. And he doesn't want us to see that he's been defeated. And that Christ has that kind of authority. Kind of authority that works in the marriage, in the home, and, and with the children. That rebellious child. That rebellious mate. At work. When you can't seem to work with that person. All of a sudden God gives you the grace. As you rely upon him and his authority. You see that that work is not working unto that person, but that work is working unto the Lord. And you begin to see it differently. God has that for us. Are you here today? You feel defeated in some area? You feel wiped out? You feel uh, that struggle, that battle that's gone on? And, and maybe you're, you're to the point where you just say, I can't take it anymore. That's where God says, okay. Turn it over to me. Not saying that it's going to go away, but learn to trust me day by day. You having difficulty? Finances, problems in your life. Christ is there to help you. You know, the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, that spiritual armor it boils down to what? Jesus Christ. That's it. Aren't you glad that you can know him and know what he has for you? Amen? I mean, that's exciting. That's exciting. And hell 
cannot stop us if we walk by faith. Trusting in Christ and his authority. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father.